coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And today, we are back with part three of our performance review series that we are running during the early portion of the offseason leading up to spring practice. If you missed the first two parts of the series, no worries. You can still listen to those. Go back a couple episodes. You'll find both of those. And what we're doing is going through the returning players on the roster and giving them an annual performance review just like most of us get at our places of employment. We always love that time of the year, right? And we're going to grade their 2019 performance, discuss their strengths and weaknesses, and give them what we think is a realistic performance goal for the 2020 season. The idea is basically it's modeled off of the exit interviews that Kirby holds with each player at the conclusion of the season. That's kind of where we got the inspiration for this series. And uh, yeah, we just thought this would be a cool way to kind of put our own little spin on it. So we will get to that here in just a few minutes. But first, we do kind of have some breaking news to discuss. Uh, And this news broke just maybe like an hour or two ago, right before we started recording this afternoon, that longtime Alabama strength and conditioning coach Scott Cochran, this guy. You're a a Bentley right now. I'm just going to put spinners on that thing. I need you lower! Bam! Hit it! Oh, that's mine. That's mine. Yeah! Yeah, that guy, he's coming to Georgia as our 10th on-field coach, most likely as the special teams coordinator. That might be like officially announced by the time we're done recording this show, but as of right now, all we've seen is that that is the speculation, probably the likelihood, but that's the speculation right now. And, and this isn't just a rumor. Like the, He is going to be on our staff. Now, what position he'll actually be coaching that still has to be confirmed, but it has been confirmed that he's going to be on our staff. This is being reported by a number of reputable sources, including Cecil Hurd, who's probably the preeminent Bama beat writer. And of course, the athletics, Bruce Feldman as well. Uh, Chris Lowe from ESPN. So it seems to be a very real thing, barring any last minute changes of heart or potential maneuverings by Nick Saban. So, Kurt, what was your initial reaction? Like when you first heard the news, what was your initial reaction to the news that Kirby Smart has hired his old friend Scott Cochran to an on-field coaching position here in Athens. Um, I think it was definitely one of shock because you just are very surprised by the fact, I mean, not only that he left Alabama, but that it was for an on-the-field coaching position. Yeah, like that kind of, like, I mean, I knew he, I knew for a couple of years he'd been looking for a job. Like, no one was really biting. I guess there were reports that Lane Kiffin, when he went to Ole Miss, tried to hire him. Uh, but Kirby, I guess, kind of one-upped him there. So, but but the idea that he did get a job in the SEC as an on-field coach, and really just Scott Cochran in general, because this is a guy when Kirby first came over here, if you guys remember back a couple of years ago, he he was the name. He was the guy Kirby was trying to bring with him from Alabama to be our strength and conditioning coach. Obviously, we ended up getting Scott Sinclair, which has worked out fantastically for us. I'm very, very happy with the job that Sinclair and staff have done. Uh, but – uh, Scott Cochran, Alabama, wouldn't come, I guess, for a lateral move, right? We already had a, such a great thing going at Alabama. But this is not a lateral move. This is a chance to take a step up the chain actually get an on-field coaching job. So, number one, I was surprised uh, because I hadn't really, like, 
even considered his name, right? Like, was he even a name like remotely in the stratosphere for you for this 10th on field job? No, I was honestly expecting some type of offensive coach. I was not even thinking truly a special teams guy because we had all kind of come to the conclusion that uh, Todd Hartley was going to handle all the duties. Yeah, that's that. That's what uh, our, our uh, Todd Munkin, yeah, we were talk, uh, talking about uh, Todd Munkin potentially being a guy who was going to kind of be like the overseer and not actually coach a position on offense, like truly just be a coordinator. Not because traditionally, like what most offense coordinators have done is, is coach the quarterbacks, right? Traditionally, but the, the thought was that potentially he might just oversee everything and not actually coach a specific position. So you get rid of the special teams coordinator, you divide that up among the, the rest of the staff, like used to be the case before you had the ninth, the, the, before you added the tenth coach, I guess, and uh, then you bring in a dedicated quarterback coach to work with a guy like Jamie Newman and then of course Brock Vanegrave from the future Carson Beck all those guys and I, I honestly I thought that was the direction that Kirby was going to be leaning but it turns out no he wanted to bring another special teams guy in and he goes with his old buddy from Alabama and brings in Scott Cochran so are you so you obviously were surprised I was taken aback when I first saw this I was like what but once you kind of like got over that initial shot Kurt are you good with this move? Because this guy has, as far as we know, at least since he's been in the college game, zero experience coaching on the field. Um, I'm definitely okay with it. I mean, I've come to the conclusion that I'm going to trust Kirby's judgment on this. And especially the fact it's not like it's special teams. It can win you or lose you a game. But I believe it. I think Scott Hawkins can handle the duties. And like one of the things said, he's a master motivator. And that's what a lot of special teams is, you know, getting guys to go out there and give it their all in that in that situation um and then when it comes to recruiting if Kirby didn't believe in him he's definitely not going to hire him in that position because Kirby knows what he demand what he you know what it takes to be a great recruiter and he has shown that he's not going to hire or stick with people that can't handle the duties oh absolutely uh, I'm, I'm actually going to go a step further I agree with you but I'll take it even one step further and I will say like I am actually really excited about this hire I think this is a fantastic move I actually I think this is an alpha move by Kirby Smart that's what this is to me now, look, and you kind of alluded to this. Guys, look, it's special teams. And I, you're exactly right, Curtis. Special teams can win or lose your game. There's no doubt about that for sure. But still, I think special teams, coming in as a special teams coordinator, that's a job with, where you can learn a little bit more on the job than maybe, say, an offensive or defensive coordinator. Because there's not as much scheming involved with special teams. I'm not saying there is not a scheming element. There is. It's just not as scheme and play calling heavy as – uh, offensive coordinator or defense coordinator would be. It's just de-emphasized. There's, there, you're not calling plays on a down-in, down-out basis, right? That I mean, you, you're just not. There's more elements to, I guess. You got punt, punt return, kick, kick return, all that kind of stuff, field goal, all that kind of stuff. But it's just the scheming part of it is de-emphasized, which to me means like the experience aspect of being the special teams coordinator is de-emphasized as opposed to maybe, a, a, again, like we said, coordinator on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. So I think this is more so a position on the staff. If there's any position on the field out there with, with the 10 uh, assistant coaching jobs, or I guess 10 coaching jobs, no, 10 on-field guys, if there's any position where you can come in without a ton, a ton of experience to be fine, I think it's the special teams coordinator job. And I, and I think that's fair to say because you have to consider, guys, this was a job that was routinely divided up among various members of the staff prior to the addition of that 10th on-field spot. You might have – uh, your your linebackers coach doing punt. You might have your wide receivers coach doing punt return. My defensive line coach doing kickoff. I mean, it was totally divided up. It was kind of it was a total group effort, and, and that that also includes the scheming aspect of it too. So I think you're still going to see that more of a group effort with scheming, which I I think makes it okay for a guy without as much experience coming in 
and taking over that job. So uh, I, I think you have to consider that. And then where his value really comes in, where Scott Cochran really brings a high level of value to your program is the energy, the motivation he brings to your to your team, the the aspect of, of helping to instill the culture. I think he is going to be a lights out recruiter as well. He hasn't done that. Now, what the way it works is if you're the strength coach, you can't go out on the road and recruit. You can't call guys and things like that. But when they come on campus for a visit, then you can help recruit. You can visit with those guys, show them what you do, that kind of thing. And that certainly helps. But you're kind of neutralized to a degree in that role. And he's just an outsized personality. The players to a almost, from my understanding, to a person love the guy. They love him. So to me, I think that's where his highest value will come is on the recruiting front. And we know, guys, the value Kirby places on recruiting. And think about this, Kirby. One of the reasons some of, I mean, we weren't upset about losing James Cole because obviously his one year as offense coordinator here did not go very, very well. But if there was one uh, aspect of what he brought to the table that we were all kind of like not excited to lose was his recruiting ability, right? Yeah. Well, if you go out and replace James Coley with a guy like Scott Cochran, who no has not done it like James Coley has, doesn't have the track record, but if, if Kirby's worked with him as, like you said, or you trust Kirby, he's worked with him as closely as he has. And you hear all the former players talk about how much they love Coach, uh, uh, Coach Cock. They love this guy. And it seems like he has all the ingredients of being just a lights out recruiter, a guy that could potentially help replace James Coley in that regard. Now, like he might the, not have been- this is someone that players come to trust, you know, yeah. especially when you have a hard ass like Saban. He was like the good guy in that whole thing. You know, he like we all saw his energy and everything. But I think he was one of these guys that showed the kids that he cared about them and everything. And they said he was one of these, the, one of the type of people that when kids thought about transferring or they were upset over playing time and things like that, that he would, you know, kind of sit down and talk with them and, you know, try to soothe things out. So I think he ha- could do a good job, bring a good balance and like more of a father figure role to the team, which is also a good thing to have. Like, because Kirby Smart is a, he's a hard ass and he's a very demanding yeah. coach and things like that. So when you have someone who can balance it out and who has experience on how to handle these kids, I think that can go a long way too because Kirby, especially this past couple months, has really put an emphasis on trying to change the culture of the locker room, get some of these bad apples and things out. And I think this is a another part that could help improve your locker room culture. That's an incredible point, and I 1 million percent agree with you. That's what I was talking about, like helping instill culture. You're right. Kirby's talking about at, right. I mean, immediately after the Sugar Bowl, talking about how hey, we have some guys on our team that just I think they're better than what they really are. I mean, you could tell like he, he understands like – I'm not, I'm not saying we have a culture issue, but there's some things he wants to get cleaned up. And uh, if there's anyone in America that can clean that up, it's Scott Cochran, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt. And, and, and another great thing is, like, these guys work so closely together for so long. And by the way, guys, Kirby and, and Cochran are very close friends, and their wives are actually, like, very, very close as well. And you talk about how Kirby is uh, a demanding coach, which he totally is. And this is another element, Curtis. There's coaches knocking on the door to coach here at Georgia. There's no doubt because of what it can do for your career, right? Taking that next step. And look, we, I mean, Jim Chaney, of all people, became the highest paid offensive coordinator in all of college football after working here. Now, Tucker parlays that in a job at Colorado. So it can be really – Sam Pittman. So it can be really, really good for your career. But it, it's a tough job because Kirby is a grinder. He's demanding. But him and Scott Cochran are, are cut from the same cloth. So th- there's not going to be any um, adjustment period there in terms of what Scott Cochran thinks that Kirby Smart's going to demand. Like he knows. I mean, these guys are are one the same when it comes to that kind of thing. So I think that's a, a big benefit here. There's no adjustment period there, and Kirby doesn't have to guess as to what kind of coach he's getting. He's not relying on recommendations and what other coaches have told him about this guy. 
He knows from firsthand experience. He worked with Scott Cochran hand in hand for about a decade at Alabama. So he knows exactly what he's getting here. There's no guessing on his end. There's no guessing on Cochran's end on what he's getting himself into. These guys know each other and they're very much the same in terms of the intensity they bring to the table, how demanding they are of their players, all those things they are in alignment with. And you really can't discount that. And going back to like, the idea of like, okay, he hasn't, doesn't have any experience coaching anything at all in the field, special teams especially. Look, guys, so much of coaching college football is all about understanding, number one, how to work with and deal with kids and how to build relationships. And Scott Cochran is a master. Kurt, you were alluding to that. He's a master in both those areas, just like Kirby Smart is. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I mean, think about Jim Chaney, right? Well, he coached tight ends. He coached uh, he coached quarterbacks. Talk about James Cole. He coached wide receivers. Coached run, you moved to quarterbacks. I mean, look, guys, these things are interchangeable at times. It doesn't really matter necessarily how much experience you have because you can learn those things. You go over the summer. You visit with teams. You you go. You train. You get some experience. All that kind of stuff. But being able to work with kids and build relationships that's one of those things. Like you either have it or you don't at this stage. And Scott Cochran has it. And so I, I think that's why I think he's going to be successful on the field in that role. There's not a ton, a ton of scheming involved, not as much as some of the other positions. And then if you can work with kids, build relationships, and recruit, like I think he's going to recruit, I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, I'm pumped up about this. And uh, think about this too, Kurt. So I, I do think this makes us stronger. I, I do. I think this is a really strong hire. But at the same time, what makes us maybe even even better of a hire is that while it does strengthen us, don't you think it's also simultaneously weakens Alabama? Yeah, like Alabama's going to spend some money and get another great strength sure, conditioning coach. I don't doubt that, but you just still don't replace what you had in Coach Cochran. Because, like we said, you know, he understood Coach Saban. He's a lot, one of his like right hand type guys. Um, and you don't and replace that seven. part. Yeah you, yeah, you just don't replace that part easily. I mean, you can repl- like you can get someone in there who can get after him and get him in strength conditioning, but I think it's the other things that he did that separates him from it. And another thing that goes into it, too, is, I mean, you got to think about it. He literally knows every strength and weakness on every single player on that entire roster. Um, he knows that entire program inside and out just as much as Kirby does and from a different point of view also. Um, so, I mean, I definitely think it – I mean, like I said, they'll, they'll get a good coach in there, but it's, I think it's just the, the – the more behind the scenes of what they're going to miss. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and if you guys aren't, I mean, I think most of you are probably familiar with the name Scott Cocker, but if you're not, there is a, there was an ESPN documentary, I mean, I guess a couple of years ago, maybe. Uh, and if you have ESPN plus, you can probably go find it there. They have most of that stuff on demand. And it, it was really insightful in detailing just how instrumental Scott Cochran was in building that Alabama dynasty. Now, there were way, there was way more to than just Scott Cochran. I'm not saying he was the, the linchpin or anything. You got Saban, you got Kirby, you got all that. But Cochran played a major role in building that culture. Uh, very famous as what they call the fourth quarter program. He's the guy, uh, Kurt, you've been in games Alabama, right? The fourth quarter, whose voice comes on? Yeah, it's all Scott Cochran pumping Scott up. Cochran. The, yeah, 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 that whole thing, right? Uh, and so, I mean, he is—he he was a, almost like a large-in-life figure that, there at Alabama. The players loved him. I mean, when he got this job, or uh, when the news started coming out today, the reports started coming out, you had players like HaHa Clinton Dix, former players that were pretty how ha- or they were out there tweeting about how happy they were for Coach Cochran because they know he wanted to get an on-field job. So that tells you right there the kind of respect he has and demands from the players that work with him. So if you haven't got a chance to watch that, I forget the actual title was, but you can search up Alabama, Scott Cochran, and, stuff, and you'll find that ESPN documentary if you have – uh, ESPN plus it, it's just really insightful and in, in just how instrumental he was and how crucial of a, of a, of a 
aspect of that program that the strength and conditioning program really was for at, at Alabama. So yeah, the, you're right. They're going to get somebody else. They're going to be fine. But us taking that kind of guy from them, that's an alpha move, man. That is an alpha move by Kirby Smart. I love every bit of it. Now, I know some people are saying, well, who cares? It's Alabama, they're not in the East. Hey, we saw, like I know they didn't win the ACC this year, but there's a good chance we're still going to have to jump over that hurdle at some point. And getting a guy like this from them, I'm not saying that's going to necessarily you know change the tide or whatever, but like it certainly helps. It does not hurt at all. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped about it. Kurt, would you say, quickly before we move on, is this an upgrade over Scott Fountain? Um, definitely when it comes to recruiting, I think it will. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. And, like, I, I, I understand that Scott Fountain certainly had much more experience coming to that job than, uh, on the field as special teams coach than Scott Cochran. Well, there's no doubt there, but again, I, I just think that X's and O's is scheming is just de-emphasized at that position. That's something that he can learn and he will grind. He will work to learn that. And if you look at all the other aspects of what he brings to the table here from a recruiting perspective, a culture perspective, I think this is a strong hire. And I think you can certainly make it. I, I would make the argument. I think this is going to prove to be ultimately, in terms of the benefit it adds to our program, I think this will prove to be an upgrade over Scott Fountain. Now, this Fountain did a bad job, but I think this will prove to be an upgrade in a lot of different ways. So, uh, cool. All right, let's go ahead and move into our performance reviews. For those of you who missed the first two parts of the series, you can still check those out where we, where we are reviewing guys like George Pickens, Richard LeCount, Nolan Smith, Quay Walker, many more. We've already recruit, uh, already reviewed all those guys. But our performance evaluation scale, for those of you who might not have, have listened yet, is uh, a scale of one to four, with four being advanced, three being proficient, two developing, and one needs improvement. Again, we try to model after an authentic performance review, hence the very uh, uh, professional verbiage there in terms of evaluation. Things that we don't want to hear because it's never comfortable and fun to go into those evaluations, at least not for me. But uh, we're going to start – uh, today, and we've been putting out calls on social media for names that you would like us to cover on this series. And we've had a couple different people now throw out the cornerbacks in general and Eric Stokes in particular. So that's where we're going to start today. Stokes came on strong to end the 2018 season and kind of cemented himself as a starter heading into 2019. But Kurt, how did you evaluate Eric Stokes' performance in his first full season as a starter here in Athens? Um, I think I'd go with a three. Um, I thought he did a – he's one of our lockdown corners, made some big plays for us. You think about the game, play at Tennessee and things like that. And for the most part, teams didn't really attack him. Um, he got a little injured throughout the year, especially in the Notre Dame game and things like that. Um, but for the most part, I mean, he was one probably our most – he was our most consistent cornerback. And um, he, for the most part, took away one side of the defense uh, – one side of the field quite a bit. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I actually have him as a three as well. Now, if you would have asked me this question last offseason, like last summer heading into the season, I would have probably, if I was predicting what I would say at the end of the year, I probably would have said four because I love what we saw from him in 2018 in a very small sample size. He takes over the starting job towards the end of that year. And uh, I, I thought he was ready to catapult himself into like stardom. And, and I, he was really, really good for us this year. He was very good. He wasn't disappointing. He wasn't. I just don't know if he took that next step to become an elite corner. Is that fair, Kurt? Yeah, that's why I put him at a three. I just didn't. Yeah. I mean, he, he it's not like he did anything wrong. I just didn't see him yeah. become that elite corner. Exactly. He was very, very good. Um, and, and he, you're right. In a lot of a lot of games, he was shutting down one side of the field. He, I do think as the season went on, teams were more and more willing to attack him than they than what we had seen previously. And I do think there were more balls completed in his direction than what we saw last year, because he was lights out at, at the end of last year. That was. A, of course, it was a smaller sample size. Teams have more tape on you, so they understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, how to maybe go about attacking you, all those kind of things. Um, but there were a few more completions in his direction than what we saw in the smaller sample size in 2018. But I still think he was very, very good. Uh, what makes him great, the strengths for him, in my opinion, 
Number one is just outstanding ball skills. I mean, this guy has, in my opinion, elite ball skills. He's a plus athlete, which he always was. He's one of those guys that's kind of a throw in, uh, in a, a, when we took him in his initial recruiting class. It was one of those names at the end of the cycle. It was like, hey, we have a spot. Let's go take maybe a, a, an athlete that we think is kind of raw. We can develop him. And when we signed him, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, Eric Socher, whatever. And uh, you and I were actually pretty hard on him the first couple of years when we saw him at G-Day, which is all we really got to see from him because he was he was raw. But, man, it's one of the reasons I love this guy, and I've said it before a couple of times. This guy just put his head down and went to work. He didn't complain about not playing much early. He understood that he had a long way to go, and he just went to work, and he has turned himself into a very, very good football player. But he, uh, so he's, And he always had the skills in terms of his, his athleticism, but he's now developed some really strong ball skills, impeccable timing, kind of understanding how to read the hands and eyes of the receivers when he's in trail technique, which is, uh, which is such a critical aspect of playing quarterback. You got to know when the ball is so – you can be in phase, but if you don't have the aware – like Tyson Campbell, right, Kerb? It's kind of yeah. the opposite, where he's it was always in phase. He was there, but it's just general awareness, at least his first year. We didn't see as much of him last year. I thought he improved on this and what we saw last year. But that, that freshman year, I mean, Campbell would be right there, but he just had no clue the ball was coming. And that's something you develop over time, just that timing, understanding how to read the eyes, the hands of defenders, and when to put your hands up and attack the ball. And Stokes has – he has proven that he is elite in that area. So uh, I love that from him, and I think he can certainly take a big step next year. Now, for me, what he needs to improve on, let me ask you first, Kerr. So we both said that he was really, really good this year, but maybe didn't quite take that next step to the elite status. What does he need to do next year in order to become an elite-level cornerback? Um, Me, I'd probably just say his physicality. I think that's the one spot where he probably struggles the most, Um, just when people are just more physical than he is. I, I think you can say that about most of our D, our, our cornerbacks. Um, I think if there's one area they need, they're not like bad in that regard, but if there's somewhere an area where they could really improve. I think that is it. Because Stokes is a great athlete, and he and he's got a he's got a pretty strong body, but he's not a huge dude, right? He, he's not as big as like a guy like Tyson Campbell, but he is a guy that I think has a, a little bit of room to become a little bit more physical in coverage and not get pushed off the ball there when we were in press coverage at times because some of the bigger receivers, which I do think is an area where he might have struggled a little bit at times. When the balls were completed on him, it was against guys like, let's say, Van Jefferson at Florida, right? Maybe bigger, a little bit more physical guy that can win at the line of scrimmage and, uh, and beat you on a slant route, things like that. So uh, th- that's the area I see in him that he needs to improve on a little bit. But I think he can. That's, that's the great thing. Like, There's so much about his game that's already at an elite level. Just a little bit he needs to improve on. I, I think his awareness is really, really strong when he's in man coverage, like trailing a defender. But in zone coverage at times, I, I noticed a couple of situations where he was lost. Not not a ton of times, but there are a couple of times there. So I think just understanding a little bit more what we're trying to do defensively as a whole, I think those are the kind of things that can help him catapult himself into elite status and become uh, an advanced player next year. So, Kurt, looking ahead to 2020, what do you think is a realistic goal for Eric Stokes next year? Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see him be in probably S- first-team SEC or even second-team SEC just because I think he has that ability to actually do it. I, I think all SEC – I mean, to me, like you're right. That's I'm not saying he's going to – again, this is a goal for him. I'm not saying he's 100% going to get there, but I think he has the skill set, the athleticism, the profile necessary if he just improves on a few things, as we mentioned there, to become an all-SEC caliber cornerback. He already has an name recognition. He has some of that coming into this year. They kind of cemented that more so uh, throughout the 2019 season. So I think he's going to be a guy, like, and he's a guy that might even end up a, a candidate to come to all to uh, SEC media days potentially. I wouldn't be shocked to see him there. We'll see how that's 
couple months down the road, unfortunately. But uh, he, he's got a shot there. If he comes SEC media days, that name recognition is even more there. So I, I think he'll start the year on the radar. I think he's going to – I mean, at the very least, he's going to be very, very good like he was this year with a chance to become an elite next-level type cornerback. And if he takes that next step, which I think is reasonable to expect him to, to have a good chance to do that, I think he'd be an all-SEC type cornerback. At, at the very least, he's going to be a starter for us next year, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's gonna yeah, that's going to happen. So I, definitely going to start. At least I would project him right now, and I think he has a really good shot to become an all-SEC type guy for sure. All right, uh, let's stick with the quarterbacks here and talk about DJ Daniel for a few minutes. Daniel was one of the less heralded members of the 2019 signing class. But outside of George Pickens, I'd say he might have had the biggest impact of any other member of that class last season. He, he was not the star to enter the season. But Tyson Campbell went down with a turf toe injury after game three. And then it was DJ Daniel in that position as the starter the rest of the way. So, Kurt, what grade are you going to give Daniel for his 2019 performance? Um, I think I'm going to give him a three, actually. I, um, you know, it was he's more like, like in between a two to three, but I thought he did really well stepping in. Um, he wasn't a weakness or anything like that. I mean, I think in general our DBs are very strong, so it's not like he was a glaring hole or anything like that. Teams may have tried to go after him, but yeah. um, he's not a big guy, but I thought he did a good job of staying with people, playing the ball very well, especially in the air, and I thought he did a good job um, just not giving up big plays and things like that. Yeah, I thought Tyson Campbell and G-Day, I was really impressed with what I saw from him, some improvements, and then early in the year I thought he was playing at a high level. And when he went down, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of concerned because I, I knew – that we had signed DJ Daniel and he was probably going to be the guy that would go in there, but we didn't exactly know what we had in him yet. So there was a level of concern for me heading into the meat of our schedule. I mean, I, I think it was going into the Notre Dame games. We found out that we were not going to have Tyson Campbell and you're going up against uh, a team out there that can do some things. The past game, we saw what Cole Komet was able to do. That was a concern for me, but DJ Daniel responded. Now he is not the same size as a guy like Tyson Campbell, as you mentioned, six, one, about 185 pounds. But the dude plays hard. He fights. Like I think he. Like, do you get what I'm saying, Carl? Like in terms, of, like would you say he plays bigger than he actually is? Yes, and I think I've seen that shocks you. And you see him, you think this guy's small, but like I, said, he, I would actually almost say he's almost more physical than Eric Stokes actually because he does not back down. He'll go in there and get in tight on these uh, receivers and things yeah. like that and play them, play them physical. I mean, he's nowhere near most of them in the stature, but he's not gonna. You wouldn't know it by the way he plays. Yeah, and I'm not saying he won every time in the line of scrimmage when he's trying to press a guy, but he went after those guys. And some of the guys are just bigger than him. But uh, he fought hard. He was aggressive. And, again, I, th- I thought he played bigger than his size. He's a good athlete. I wouldn't say he's quite as good of an athlete, Not certainly not as fast as Eric Stokes, but a very good athlete in his own right. So I'm with you. I gave him a three on the year. Um, I honestly didn't really consider it two because I thought he played really, really well for us. I, I don't think there was that much of a drop-off between him and Eric Stokes. I know they're on the field at the same time, but like, I don't think there was that much of a difference between the two. I honestly don't. I mean, I would say Stokes might have the slight edge there, but I, I thought DJ Daniel played really, really well for us. And that's why when Tyson Campbell even came back from the injury, like Daniel stayed in the lineup, and there was a reason for that. And I, I was very impressed with what I saw from him coming in from the JUCO ranks. And this is a guy that, again, he was another. He's kind of like Stokes in some ways. He was kind of an afterthought. And he, we recruited him pretty hard. He ended up initially committing to South Carolina. And we were kind of taken aback by that because all the all the words coming down from recruiting writers was that we were going to get this guy. But we stuck with him. At the end of the day, we ended up flipping him. And thank God we did because where would we have been without him? I mean, probably Tyree Stevenson, who would have grown into that job probably, but he was young and not quite ready to play out there yet. So I'm really glad we ended up getting him. Um, so we talked about what he's good at. Not the biggest guy who plays physical. I thought he, I thought he flashed really good ball skills as well. Maybe not to the level of an Eric Stokes, 
That might be where, one area where Stokes was a little bit stronger than him. But still, I thought very good ball skills, a very solid technician for a guy who's coming from the JUCO ranks, really without any high-level competition. But what does he need to improve on in 2020, Kurt, to take it to the next level? Um, it's hard because like his stature really limits yeah. him in certain things, but he, but he just he still outplays it. Um, I, yeah. it's just hard to really pick an exact spot where he needs to improve because I don't think there's his ceiling is not as high as the others. Agreed, and that's dude, that's exactly what I have in my notes. I have right here like he's not going to get much taller, and he's not going to get much bigger. Like he's not going to get any taller. We can say that at this point, and I just don't see like, his frame. Like, does he have the frame where he can add like 10, 15 pounds? I don't see that in his frame. I don't see it at all. No. Yeah, I think physically he is what he is, and I and I think if there was an area where he needs to improve, it's kind of like Stokes. I, I thought he was aggressive for his size, but there were times, just because he's not as big, that he didn't always win those battles, athletic scrimmage, and press coverage. And I just don't know if that's going to change as much this year because like, I just don't know if he's going to be much bigger. Now, you certainly can improve a little bit more technique-wise there. You get the punch on the receivers a little quicker, get your hands on there, uh, all that kind of thing. But – from in terms of stature, like he's not going to grow much. Uh, so I think you got to consider that one area. I think he could also kind of like Eric Stokes on the same lines, just continue to sharpen his knowledge of the defense. He was only here for, I mean, really got here uh, for spring practice and then carried his way through his way through the season. So he was here for less than a year before having to be thrust into the job as a full-time starter at that position. And certainly he's learning on the job. And there were times where he got lost as well in zone coverage, especially. So just continue to kind of sharpen knowledge of the defense and if he does that, I think this guy has a chance to be really good for us. And I think he might have a chance to hold off some of these younger, more talented, like maybe more high-profile guys coming out of high school. There's a chance because I thought he played really strong for us, even though he might not have quite the the size and length at that position that Kirby's kind of going after. But, I mean, production speaks for itself, and I thought he was very, very productive for us last year. So, Kurt, moving into next season in 2020, what do you think is a realistic goal for DJ Daniels? Um, I think it's it's a realistic goal for him to sit there and compete for that starting quarterback position. I think you may see him and uh, Tyson Campbell rotate. Um, I'm not ready to say he's going to be a starter, but I think he's going to definitely be a contributor next year. I agree with that. I I think it's real. Like, as you just said, I'll repeat what you said. I think it's realistic to say that he should have the goal of of starting at cornerback. I'm not saying he's going to win that job. We'll see how that plays out over spring, the, the course of spring practice here in a month or so. But I think it's realistic to say that based on what we saw last year, I know Campbell was still kind of working back from the injury, but he came back and DJ Daniel stayed in that spot. So I think that's a very realistic possibility and something he should certainly shoot for. And I think is possible heading into 2020 is being that starter at cornerback opposite Eric Stokes. But um, all right, after two defensive players to open things up, we're going to spend the rest of the show on the offensive side of the ball. And next up, we have wide receiver Demetrius Robertson, good old D-Rob. He came in with very high expectations, we all know, after the transfer from Cal. But we are uh, still, two years later, waiting for him to kind of break out after he got here in Athens. So, Kurt, he was much more of a part of our offense in 2019. There's no doubt he was. He was on the field a lot for us. But how did you evaluate D-Rob's performance last season? Um, I mean, I think it's a, a three. I don't I, – it wasn't a two where it needs improvement. I mean, I think he is who he is. He still has some growing to do. Um, And I don't know if we put him in the best situation to be successful too. So, I don't – I think – it just goes all around, um, but I still think that he has a talent to do things. I totally agree with that. He is a talented guy. I don't think we necessarily made like, – basically, you said this for almost every school player we had in offense last year. We did not maximize their abilities, as I was saying, ad nauseum, week in and week out, all throughout the 2019 season. But I still think there were some things that D-Rob could have done better himself. So for me, 
even though it was not all on him, certainly the offense coordinator had a role in this. But I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a two that he was developing. Uh, I still think he's in that stage right now. I don't like he was good at times, but he he disappeared in games. Currently, think think about the help we needed at wide receiver last year, especially when Cager goes down, and the dude just flat out disappeared at times. Uh, he had games where he was solid, but there were times like, dude, we need you to step up, and he just couldn't get open uh, at times. And so, so there were times where he was open, sure, and, and Jake might have missed him here or there, but there are plenty of times where D Rob just wasn't getting consistent separation, which is surprising when you think about a guy with with a speed, at least a straight line speed that he has. But um, this is a guy that I think can be. Can he? Can do you think he can be the deep threat everyone thought he was going to be coming into his career here in Athens? Um, I think he can. I mean, there were times where he was open, and it just it just never materialized. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. Whether it was we couldn't we couldn't uh, protect Jake long enough, or Jake couldn't put it on the money. Like there were times, but there were also times he had a couple drops as well, and he was good. Yeah, like there were a couple times in the end zone. Yeah, sure. You're right. You're right. Um, but they, like there were like he was good. All right, and I I I, I can see the argument for a three for calling him proficient because he had thirty catches, three hundred thirty three yards, three touchdowns. He was a third leading wide receiver in the team, but I, I just think there was more meat on that bone. I think he could have done more. And there are times I'd watch him play. I'm like, dude, D Rob, like you you got to get better, man. Like especially like getting off press coverage. I know we we played him in the slot some, we played him outside some, but when he was pressed outside. Oh man, it wasn't always pretty for him, and he had he struggled with that a little bit in this very sparing playing time we saw in 2018. He struggled with that some then, or a lot then, but he struggled a little bit. He's it was better at that this year, but still struggled at times getting off the press. And and, and he's a smaller guy that's going to happen. That's why I think he probably fits better in the slot because you don't have to worry about that in the slot. Guys are playing off the ball; they're not up there in your face pressing you. Um, but what, one of the things that it, it, it's frustrating and it's tough is I think he's kind of a tweener in some ways. Like he's not quite big and physical enough to consistently play outside and, and face press coverage. Like like a lot of teams in the SEC are going to do to you. Like basically what what South Carolina, South Carolina did to us. They they went man free, got in our face, and we just couldn't get open. It, it just once, especially once Lawrence Cager went down. It was that simple. And D Rob was part of that. But so I think he, from a size perspective, he fits better than slot. But he also doesn't have great lateral agility. He's Got super straight line speed. He's very, very fast in a straight line, but he doesn't move laterally as well or as quickly, as effortlessly as some other guys that that uh, that we have on the team. Maybe like a, like a um, Dominic Blaylock, for instance. So I think that hurts him to a degree in route running as well. And like we couldn't do some of the whip routes and the option routes, some of the things that you do, uh, you see teams do effectively with slot receivers. So that just wasn't really his game. It's more of a, of a speed thing. So I think that's something he needs to work on. And look, he, his lateral agility is what it is to a degree, but that's something you can improve in, in in some respect. One thing I also like to see him do a better job of is when he does get chances. In the, and I know he's not a big dude, so it's tough. Like we're asking at times we're asking him to do those things. We're throwing the back shorter fades and those 50-50 balls like we used to with bigger receivers. And you're asking smaller guys to do that, and that's not really his game. But I think he can do a better job of attacking the ball in the air and not letting the ball just come to him, get into him, go get the football like George Pickens does, like Lawrence Cager did. Yeah, I so, think that that's definitely one of his bigger problems is he's not a get to go up and take the ball away. And I think, I mean, I think that goes for a lot of our receivers actually. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. definitely one thing that you see with him. He's definitely not strong going for the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not ready to give up on the guy at all. Like you said, I think he can be a really good receiver for us. I still believe in him as a deep threat, and I'm excited to see 
what he's able to do in Todd Munkin's offense. If you think about Todd Munkin as a guy who likes to push the ball vertically down the field, we got a quarterback in Jamie Newman. If he ends up winning the job, which he probably will, but if he ends up winning it, he's got a, a great rotation as a deep ball passer, very efficient throwing the ball down the field. That might fit D Rob's game. And maybe it's this year, maybe it's his third year on campus that D Rob finally breaks out and becomes the the elite receiver that we were all thinking he could be. And, and that's certainly a possibility. I'm, I'm open to that being the case. But what do you think, Kurt, is a realistic goal for him next season? Um, I think he could actually be a better contributor, especially this, this Todd Monken offense. I think he's going to do a better job of trying to get him open and hopefully not ask him to do things that doesn't fit his skill set. Agreed. Uh, and I, I think like, like Pickens, I don't think I know. George Pickens is going to be our number one guy, right? That's pretty clear. We know that. But I think it's very realistic to say that Demetrius Robertson can be our second leading wide receiver next year. Is, is, that, is that crazy to say that? No, not at all. I think that's very fair. I mean, if you look at who we have coming back, I mean, uh, you got Blaylock coming off an ACL injury, Kyrus Jackson, who's solid. But, I mean, I, I don't know if he's any better than D-Rob right now. I actually might take D-Rob. I would take D-Rob over him right now. Matt Landers, Tommy Bush, who hasn't done anything. Maybe he'll try. We've got some talented freshmen coming in. So, I think, like, yeah, I think it's very realistic to say, hey, dude, you should probably be that second guy behind Pickens. I think 500 to 700 yards receiving after putting a little over 300 this year is very realistic for Demetrius Robertson next year, especially with the coordinator change. And then, of course, Jamie Newman coming in with his deep ball accuracy as well. Uh, all right, next up, let's move to the offensive line and talk about Ben Cleveland, who who will be returning for his redshirt senior season. Hard to believe Ben has been here that long, man. It's crazy. He was in and out of the lineup in a rotation of sorts, kind of a competition with Cade Mays all year long at right guard so Kurt how would you grade Ben Cleveland's junior campaign um I'm gonna give him a three I thought he was actually better than Cade Mays throughout the year um yes and I think hopefully this year you won't see as much of a yeah and I I don't hopefully I don't I'm just really hoping there's could be I don't know if his coaching philosophy or what um but I'm hoping that we kind of get him settled in at that one of the guard positions and uh allow him to get comfortable and just Keep, you know, Bill, just keep going. I think the guy um, definitely has room to improve, uh, maybe on footwork and things like that, especially in the pass blocking. Uh, but I definitely think that he is going to be one of our main contributors on the offensive line this year and probably one of our leaders. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he was a, a clear three for me. He wasn't developing. He was solid. He was good for us. And I know it's very easy for us to say right now, oh, yeah, he was better than Cade Mays because, yeah, we know where Cade Mays went, what happened there. So let me put thinking, well, they're just being homers and saying that. Like, no, go back and listen to the tapes, guys. I was saying all year long that I thought Ben Cleveland was playing better than Cade Mays at right guard. I, I thought I don't think Cade Mays was playing terribly. I thought Ben was better when he was in. Now, we all know Ben's limitations, right? He doesn't have the quickest footwork. Um, he 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 doesn't bend as well as you would like uh, your offensive lineman to at times. But we also know the strengths this guy brings to the table. He is a road-grading offensive lineman. He is like a freakish just specimen of a fit of, of, of a dude. Like you look at his body, I'm like, oh my God, you're like 340 pounds, but you're you just don't like he's not a fat 340 pounds, right? Like not overweight. It's just just ripped and huge. We know the strength he brings to the table. We know what movement he can get on the line of scrimmage. And I thought he improved in a lot of areas this year. I thought his bend was better. I thought he played with better leverage, which was something that he had struggled with in the past. That knee bend getting underneath the, the, the pads of, of the defender. I thought he did a much better job of that. I thought he played a little bit harder at times than maybe he had it, or a little bit more consistently with his effort. Like he had times where he would just plow over people. I think previously there might you could argue there were some times he took some plays off here and there, but I didn't see that from him last year. He was fighting for a job. I thought he played better all in all than what Cade Mays did last year. I thought Cade really had a I don't want to say subpar year, but not I thought he was better as a freshman, to be honest with you. So I think Ben um is a guy that is in line to be a star next year, right, Kurt? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Especially if he gets his grades and everything figured out, there's no question. That's the thing is like because we, we we don't know. We know he's suspended for the bowl game, and we know that was a grades thing. But like, will he be cleared to, to play in the spring? I know he's about working out with the team, so that's a good sign to be, potentially that he be out there in the spring. But but the thing is like, even if he's not there in the spring, he's played so much that he can come in in the fall and still be fine, right? Yeah, he's now, been around. Are, I, 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 I mean. Yeah, it, it'll be different because he hasn't really gotten to take a lot in yet with the um, Matt Luke. That's the only thing that really hurts him a little bit is with right. the coaching change, you wish he would be out there. Um, but he's been around and he's been in the program for so long and in college football that it's not detrimental to him. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and, and I will say one thing. Uh, at least you always heard this that we well the reason we went with such heavy zone blocking schemes the past year and a half or so two years really was uh, because our guards weren't quick enough to pull consistently and I don't know if I ever really bought into that especially I thought Cade Mays is one of his strengths the guy who's a little bit more athletic than maybe Ben was but I, I saw Ben pull a time a couple of times right there's 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 some evidence out there I thought he looked just fine in those situations uh, and I think we're going to see more of that with Todd Munkin especially with with Matt Luke go back and look at what some of the things he was doing at, at Ole Miss and with their quarterback run game. I think you're going to see more of that, some of the misdirection. I know, obviously, Matt Luke's not calling the plays, but I think he's going to have some input, especially in the in the run schemes and what we're going to do. And I think you're going to see some, some more of that. So I'm curious to see how Ben responds to that. But again, in the small, simple size we saw of him doing that, I thought he was actually fine doing that. I don't think it was a major issue for him. But uh, that's one thing to certainly watch moving forward. But I think – the goal for this year is is to win one of those those guard spots. I don't think he's a tackle, right? Do you see that? No, not at all. Yeah, I don't think he's a tackle. So there's some thought maybe he could be a right tackle coming into college, but I never really saw that. I think he's a guard all the way, and I think made that right guard spot. Like he should definitely be the starter at right guard. And there'll be some competition there, but he should be the starter if he gets his grades cleared up and everything looking good there. I think that's a, a very safe and realistic goal for Ben next year. I'm very glad we have him back with, all, with a lot of the guys that we are that we are losing off last year's offensive line. But uh, all right, we talked about James Cook already on part one, and we will get to Zeus in our next edition of this series. But today, let's focus our attention on freshman Kenny McIntosh for a few minutes. He did not play a ton, so there's not a ton to talk about necessarily with him. But even though he only saw action in four games, uh, he gained 174 yards on 26 carries, about se- I think right at seven yards a carry, which is impressive. So obviously a very small sample size. But Curtis, in that small sample size, what grade would you give Kenny McIntosh in his freshman year? I'd give him a two. I thought, uh, I mean, it definitely needs improvement. He wasn't up there to give a three. But I thought when he did it, when he went in there, he made some plays. You're like, okay, I think this guy is going to be more of a contributor than most people thought. Um, you know, that he – he wasn't what we usually sign at the running back position, so a lot of people weren't sure what we were going to get and what to expect from him. Uh, but it looks like Del McGee and you know Curtis Martin them knew what they were looking for because he was able to make some plays happen. You can see the skill and um, what this guy can do in the long run. Yeah, you think Kirby Smart and guys and, and Dale McGee and all that, you, you think they can evaluate players? I, I, uh, I'd say so. maybe. Yeah, just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. A guy like Eric Stokes that none of us were excited about taking. They're like, oh, yeah, look what Eric Stokes has become, right? DJ Daniel, another one. Uh, but, yeah, Kenny McIntosh. And, and by the way, no, he was – I think the disappointment was, or at least – I don't say disappointment, but the reason we weren't maybe as high on him or saw a lot of people were not as high on him or excited about him coming in is because he wasn't Trey Sanders, the guy, the five-star that we all wanted in the 2019 cycle to end up going to Alabama. We thought we had him late. It was like we did. He ends up going to Alabama on signing day, and we ended up taking Kenny McIntosh. But Kenny McIntosh is still a four-star recruit, guys. He was number 187 nationally in the 247 composite. So he was no scrub. If you actually watched his tape, you would – 
I've seen what I saw. I was like, oh, this dude can play. Like he might not be Trey Sanders, but this guy can play. Like, he's not a scrub. So uh, I already, I didn't want to say I had high expectations for him coming into last year. I didn't think he was going to be much of a factor last year, but I thought he could end up being a pretty good player for us at some point. And I didn't see anything from him this year that led me to reevaluate that opinion. Now, I'm definitely with you. I haven't met as a two because he just didn't play as much. Uh, he, he certainly fits the category of developing. He's still trying to get to the level where he can be a major contributor for us. But I don't think he's, I don't think it's unreal. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that this guy can be a big time contributor for us this year. Uh, there's a couple things I really liked about him. Uh, number one, two things stand out to me with him. Now, he is not a burner. He doesn't have home run speed or anything like that. But here's what he does have. He has great vision. He has outstanding lateral agility. Really, really good feet. And to me, those two qualities are far more important than home run speed. Home run speed is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. That can separate a really good back from a, a – or I guess an elite back from a really good back. But he has outstanding lateral agility and great vision. When you can see the hole and you have the agility to move into that hole, to get yourself there to where you can get to daylight, that is essential for a high-level running back, and he has that. For example, case in point, I know we only got 26 carries in the year, but one of those carries was a 62-yard touchdown against Arkansas State. I think it was the was that the third game, second or third game. I think it was the third game of the year. But in that game, it was late in the game. You can say it was it was garbage time if you want. That's fine. But I, I mean, I, what I'm talking about was perfectly illustrated by that play where he kind of cuts back against the grain, starts right, cuts back left. He sees the hole that number one has the vision, but to get to that hole, he had to flash outstanding lateral agility and a great jump cut. And he flashed it. He showed it. And then he had enough speed to take it 62 yards for a touchdown. Maybe not elite home run speed like DeAndre Swift, but enough speed to, to for, for him to get there. 62 yards touchdown. I know it's Arkansas state, but he got the job done. So I, I saw that. I loved that from him. We saw that again a little bit, not as many carries again against Baylor, but he got some carries, I think six carries against Baylor. And we saw a little bit of that in, in those few carries as well in the sugar bowl. So, I'm excited about him. There are things I think he can improve on. I think he needs to work on maybe exploding a little bit more consistently through the holes when he gets some opportunities, kind of get that burst going. And I, I and this might not be a, a liability or a weakness. We just haven't seen him much. I would really like to see what he can do with his hands out of the backfield as a receiver. Cause so that's going to be a big part of what our running backs are going to be doing with Todd Munkin. But Kurt, what do you think is a realistic goal for McIntosh next season? Um, I think he's going to get some touches. I mean, he's going to be up there. I think that he's going to really have to compete with Kendall Milton for that number three spot. Um, and I think that's going to be where you see how his season goes. You don't think the number two spot's a possibility for him? Um, maybe, but I think number two is definitely going to go to James Cook because I think that he'll be better in this offense and we'll be able to find a way to get him on the field more so. You're probably right there, Kurt. You're probably right, but I'm still not quite 100% ready to just hand the second back job over to James Cook. I think he's probably the lead candidate in the clubhouse right now as we get ready to enter spring practice over the next month or so. But I'm not going to write Kenny McIntosh out of that equation. I think he's very much going to be in the battle. He's going to push James Cook. Cook brings a lot to the table. There's some some things that he can do that I don't think McIntosh does as well. He brings more versatility to the table, especially in terms of his ability to out of the backfield as a receiver. But I think McIntosh might be a better, like, pure running back between the tackles, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's certainly going to be a competition. I would not discount Kenny McIntosh's chances to get some serious carries this year. I think Zeus is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now to be the number one guy. But there's a lot to be decided there. There's going to be competition. It wouldn't shock me if Kendall Milton came in and made a push for first or second type back carries. I think that competition is going to push into the fall, and I really see Kenny McIntosh 
as being a guy that's going to be in the, in the thick of that competition. So while he might not be the favorite for that role right now, I certainly think it's realistic for him to set the goal, for us to set the goal for Kenny McIntosh going into 2020, for him to be that like number two option, getting those kind of Brian Herrian type carries from last year, the Elijah Holyfield type carries from 2018. I think that's realistic for him to shoot for heading into his sophomore campaign. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'd love to get your feedback on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us, uh, and that address is simply podcast at gmail.com. But uh, as always, guys, really appreciate it. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate your help there. And a big shout-out, big thank you to everyone who has helped us out there, our, our man, Reggie, long, long time listener, really probably one of our longest listeners. He uh, gave us a really nice shout out on Apple Podcast with a review. So we really appreciate that, Reggie, and appreciate everyone else who's already helped us out in that regard. So that would be awesome if you could help us out there, guys. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>